Welcome to Light for the Journey, a podcast of Russell Memorial United Methodist Church. Each week, we open the scriptures in faith that the timeless truth of God will guide us as we seek to follow in the steps of Jesus. Amazing Grace might just be the most well-known Christian song in the world today, but what is grace? Christians use that term a lot to refer to many different aspects of God's benevolence. In this week's message, given on the fifth Sunday of Lent, Pastor David Cartwright explores God's grace in what is to come and what God has planned for us that we cannot even see yet. As we go to our message today, let's open our hearts and minds to the truth that God would speak to us. I'll invite you to turn in your scripture today to John 16. The Gospel according to John in the 16th chapter. We'll be reading there verses 16 through 22. Hear now God's Word. These are words of Jesus speaking to His disciples. A little while and you will no longer see me. And again, a little while and you will see me. Some of his disciples then said to one another, What is this thing he is telling us? A little while, and you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me. And because I go to the Father. So they were saying, What is it this he he says? A little while. We do not know what he is talking about. Jesus knew that they wished to question him. And he said to them, Are you deliberating together about this that I said a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will grieve, but your grief will be turned into joy. Whenever a woman is in labor, she has pain, because her hour has come. But when she gives birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Therefore, you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O God, in these moments, may our hearts and our minds be open and attentive to you. Grant, Lord, the leading of your Holy Spirit that I would speak nothing but your words of truth, that I would speak them in simplicity, with grace, so that you would accomplish in our midst your good and perfect will. For every good thing we receive now, we give you the praise and the glory. In the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. When we speak of God's grace, it may be that we are speaking of a variety of things. God's unmerited favor is experienced in, in different ways as we live our life 
under the lordship of Jesus Christ. For instance, when we talk in Christianity about the forgiveness that we have because of Christ's death on a cross, we attribute that as God's gift of grace, that forgiveness is God's grace toward us. In a similar fashion, when we talk about uh, the righteousness that is attributed to us because of Christ, that, that too is God's grace toward us. Kind of different things, but still God's grace. And then in a different way, sometimes we talk about God's grace as God's presence that comes to us in order to help us through the challenges and the trials that we face in this life. The Apostle Paul, for instance, uh, referred to this in 2 Corinthians 12, and most of you are familiar where he uh, had prayed to God about something that he called a thorn in the flesh. We don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. There are several things that have been uh, theorized, but uh, we don't know. But he prayed to God that, that God would remove that, that thorn. And God's response to him was, no, I'm not going to remove that from you. But do you remember what God said? My, my what? My grace is sufficient for you, for strength is perfected in weakness. And it's like God said, I'm not going to take, you want this burden, this, this thing taken away, but I'm not going to do that, I'm not going to take away, but I'm going to give you grace so that you will be able to function with it, you'll be able to bear it up, you, you will be able to carry on and, and succeed in, in being my called and chosen one even while you uh, carry that or deal with it or whatever it might have been. And so uh, that's, that's kind of more where we want to go today in thinking about God's grace coming toward us in the, in the challenges and the difficulties of life. And I want to frame it using kind of the thought of the grace of expectancy. You know what it is to expect something, right? We, we look forward. There's a, you have a, anybody have a vacation plan this year? Okay, so if you're with your spouse, <laughs> your spouse is probably saying, we need to get busy on that. Let's start planning. Man, when I have vacations planned, I look forward to them. You get marked on the calendar and you're thinking about it. Um, or, or any good thing, something that you, you have and you're, you're anticipating that we, we have an expectancy of, of the goodness, the joy, the pleasure. We, we look forward to it in that way. And there, there's a grace that God gives to us that allows us to live our life with that sense of expectancy, something that we anticipate that God is working towards something better than what we have right now. And Jesus points toward that as he talks with his disciples on this holy night. In John 16, it's part of that long narrative where Jesus is talking and spending time with his disciples the night before he went to the cross. And it's, it's, it's in that that he starts using this cryptic, cryptic language, a, a little while and you will not see me, and then again in a little while and you will see me. And, and the disciples, they don't know what's going to happen, and so they don't understand what he's talking about. And they whisper to one another, and what in the world is he saying? You know, very often they didn't quite catch what he was trying to say. And so 
And Jesus perceives that they're questioning, and, and then he starts to expand on it a little bit. And he says, here's basically what I want to tell you, that you're going to enter very soon into a time of, of grief and sorrow. It's going to be a, a difficult period for you. They didn't understand, but when Jesus was going to be arrested, and this was just right around the corner for them, he understood that he was going to be arrested, he was going to go to a cross, and it was going to cause this deep distress toward his, his greatest friends. And they would enter into this darkness not knowing what really was going to come about. He wanted to tell them about it beforehand so that potentially they could go into the time of darkness knowing that it was only temporary. There, there's going to be a time when you don't see me, but it's going to be followed by a time when you do see me again. You're going to enter into a time of dark distress, but it's going to be followed by a time of joy. And when you get to that time of joy, it's going to be a joy that is unshakable. It's memorable. And it's going to help. It's going to be so powerful that you won't even remember the time of distress. And in order to illustrate this for them, he uses the analogy of a mother giving birth. Okay, before I get myself in deeper trouble, I'm going to preface. I know I'm a man, I have not given birth to a child, so before all the women line up to wag their fingers at me, I want to tell you, I don't know experientially what this feels like. There's my confession. That's the disclaimer. But Jesus is the one who used the analogy, so that's why we're going there. When a woman is in, the, in labor, uh, that's the time of distress. The, the, those are the times when the pains are coming on. And I know by observation that those pains are, are severe, and they are in, intense, they, they cause the woman to want to rip the rails off of that hospital bed, you know, and all of us who have been there, whether it's the woman giving birth or the husband standing by just feeling helpless, going, come on, babe, you can do it. You know, we, we know that that is a time of, 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 of real, I mean, it's, it's tense and it's severe. And, and, but, but you see, there, there's something about that time that, that I think it makes a difference. I, I don't know. You'd have to ask a woman who has given birth as to if and how and how much it makes a difference. But I think there's a difference in knowing that that the time of distress is a pathway to a time of joy. It is the means through which we get to something greater, something fulfilling. And that's why Jesus says, you know, when the woman is, is giving birth, she, uh, she's in pain. But after she gives birth, and I'm just reading from the text, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy that a child has been born into the world. Now, I know some of you women may want to challenge him on the exact wording there, 
Because some of you would say, oh, I remember very well what it felt like. But his point is spot on. I have had the pleasure and, and the privilege of visiting with uh, moms and dads soon after their, their child has been born and spending that time with them. I can tell you that easily the majority of the conversation is not about the labor. Do you know what it's about? It's about the child. It's the joy. Yeah, there's a little conversation about the labor. And, you know, the woman, whoo, man, it was pretty tough. But we don't spend 20 minutes talking about that. It's all about that. It's about the joy. The, the, the greater thing that, that has been brought forth into our life. And, and you see, that's the, the kind of thing that Jesus wants to convey to the disciples. He knows they're going to go into this time in which there's going to be pain, there's going to be worry, there's going to be fear, there's going to be heartache. All of these things are going to come on them. But he said, look, that's temporary. It's the pathway to a greater joy. And once you get to that greater joy, it's going to be unshakable. When they get to that greater joy, it is that grace of God that has been working with them. It carries us through the difficult times. And so we might want to ask, what, what is it that really helps us to tap into that grace, to access it so that in the midst of our troubled times, we can have the expectancy, that the thing that pulls us through toward the time of joy? If you look at the life of the disciples as the Gospels portray it, it's really quite remarkable. And the first thing I would observe about it is that if you look at the disciples before Jesus' death and resurrection and after Jesus' death and resurrection, the amount of danger that they faced didn't change a bit. In fact, it only got worse afterward. I mean, they kind of got themselves in some, you know, maybe uncomfortable situations while they were walking with him, and they definitely got themselves into a very worrisome situation after he had been arrested. That's why they all scattered. I mean, they were fleeing for their lives. Peter is about the only one that's depicted as at least hanging close because he's still interested. And then when he got pressed on the issue, he denied that he ever knew Jesus. I mean, they were worried. After his death and resurrection, it didn't get any better for them. It's not like all of a sudden everybody said, Oh, he's, he's risen from the grave. You guys are fine. No. I mean, they were getting arrested time after time. They had people breathing down their necks trying to take their life. They had riots. They had, but nothing, not Jewish authorities, not Roman governors, not rioters, not jailers, people trying to take their life. Nothing shook them. What made the difference? Look at the end of Acts chapter 5. 
There's this time when Peter and the apostles have been arrested by the Jewish authorities. They've been beaten because they have been preaching Jesus Christ. I thought about this. I thought, you know, I wonder what my reaction would be at the end of the day if, if our bishop down in Houston sent some thugs up here uh, to rough me up because I was preaching something he didn't like. I would love to say I'd act better, but my suspicion is when I got to the end of that day, I'd be in a sour mood. But the disciples, these apostles, after they had been beaten because they had been preaching Jesus Christ, the text of Acts chapter 5, verse 41, says that they rejoiced because they had been considered worthy to suffer on account of His name. When we see people rejoicing in situations that don't usually call for rejoicing, we should, we should ask, what's up with that? What made the difference? And it's not just enough to say that they conceded to suffering because Jesus suffered. It's not enough to say. That's not enough reason in itself. Now, that's there. When you read the text of the New Testament, you will find that, that Christian suffering is associated with the suffering of Christ. We're going to get there in a minute. But it's not quite enough to explain it, to say, well, he suffered and therefore I should expect to suffer, and I'm going to be joyful about it. I'll put it like this. In 58 years of life, I have never had minor surgery done. Now, just so that I'm perfectly honest, I've been very blessed that I really never, I mean, any medical procedure that's been done to me has not been of what anything that we would consider of a significant nature. But have you ever heard someone talk about certain procedures and surgeries, as, as, and we call them minor surgery? I've never had minor surgery done. I will never have minor surgery done. Minor surgery is what you do to somebody else. The doctor may tell me, we do dozens of these a week. <laughs> well, guess what? You've never done one on me. Minor surgery is what you do to somebody else. They may come through it with spectacular flying colors, but look, it's a serious thing when, when it's happening to me. So it doesn't necessarily follow that just because somebody else bravely faces their own situation that I'm going to respond the same way when it happens to me. There has to be more. And I suspect that the more... Is, is that realization that even our pain and our suffering is not wasted. That we, re, we serve a redeeming God who uses even our difficult times to produce something greater. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Romans the beautiful eighth chapter, there's a passage here that I want to kind of work through with you. 
You're going to hear this same kind of thing, the same thought reflected in Paul's words here in Romans 8. And again, we'll, we'll begin reading in verse 16 because it gives us a little momentum into the thought. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ... And so you see Paul, he's moving toward that notion of the inheritance, that thing for which we look forward. And then he ends verse 17 by saying, If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. I told you a moment ago that there is that idea that because Christ suffered, the Christian also suffers. You see, we see the two things together. But it's not just, well, he did, so we must. You have to put with it the idea that our suffering now leads to something else. And that's where Paul goes here. If we suffer with him now, we will be glorified with him later. And then in verse 18, he goes on and he says, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You see what Paul's doing? He's going, okay, let's, let's look at my condition right now. I have people wanting to kill me. I have people wanting to run me out of town. I have people who don't like me. You know, for a people pleaser, that's bad enough. I have, I mean, you can read about Paul's woes. They're easy to find in the text. How easy would it have been to go, oh my gosh, how, how horrible it is. But you know what Paul says, now let's look at this, let's look at my current situation, and then let me behold for a little while what God is going to reveal to me. That this temporary uh, garbage that I'm dealing with in life, whatever it may be, is only a pathway to God producing something beautiful, glorious, beyond my ability to comprehend it is going to be so wonderful because it is the things of the kingdom. Now, which one outweighs the other? You see, they don't even compare in Paul's mind. And so he can, he can, he can become so completely uh, overtaken by beholding the glory that is yet to come that his current circumstances become far more easy to keep in perspective. What a powerful thing that is for the Christian to understand. If you don't have the perspective of eternity, if you don't have the perspective of God's glory, present circumstances become all-encompassing. And if present circumstances are difficult, that's your whole life. It's all about the suffering. It's all about this, and there's nothing else to it. Return with me, if you would, to the image of the woman giving birth. Do you know that there's a device now, and I have to believe that it had to have been a woman who invented this. There's this device now that you can strap to a man electrodes or whatever it is around the abdomen and it will cause muscle contractions that 
so that the man can experience what the woman endures in childbirth. I've seen videos of this. It's actually hilarious. Hilarious, but it wouldn't be funny if it were me going through it. I can promise you that. Are you with me so far? Imagine if you would, you strap this onto somebody and we say, we're going to put you in a bed. You're going to be here all day. You may be in here all night also, because we never know how long the labor pains last, do we? Sometimes it's short, sometimes it's long. We never know. So there's this indefinite time, and you're going to, you're, you're going to undergo these, these contractions. And you know what? As the hours pass, they're going to get worse. And just when you thought it couldn't get any worse, we're going to crank that thing up another notch. And you're going to be going out of your mind. And when it's all over, we're going to unhook you and just send you on your way. Now, what do you think the person's experience is going to be with that? You mean I'm going to go through all of this and there's no benefit from it? There's no joy at the end? There's no good thing yet, yet to come? What good is that? What, how am I going to view the pain that I'm in now if I don't have some kind of hope that it produces something better? Do you think that's a different perspective than the woman who is in the midst of childbirth knowing that it's going to produce something that's overwhelmingly joyful? It makes all the difference in the world. It has to. And this is what the text is holding up for us. Jesus was never, uh, he, he, was, he was never, he never sugarcoated the life of the Christian disciple. He never told them that it was going to be easy. In fact, the last thing he tells them in the 16th chapter of John, right before he prays for them, is in this life you have trouble. Plain as day. In this life, you have trouble. But he says, take heart, because I've overcome the world. It's all about holding those, the, the hopes for glory to keep our present circumstances in perspective. And again, it all comes down to the reality that what we serve in, in serving our God is that we serve a, re, we serve a redeeming God. How, how many times have I shared with you that one of my favorite verses of Scripture comes out of 1 Corinthians 15, the last verse, 58, where Paul for so long has been talking about the resurrection. And based on this resurrection of Christ, this new life that is yet to come, Paul says to the church, words of encouragement, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing what? knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. You may not see the fruit of the seeds you plant. You may not see the good that get, comes from your work. But know this, that your labor, your cause for the work of Christ, never is without benefit. Your labor in the Lord is never in vain. And it doesn't take much to just kind of broaden that thought a little bit to understand that when, when we have surrendered our very lives to God, God can use all of it. 
It's not just when we punch the clock for God. It's not just when we show up here on Sunday and we teach Sunday school or we lead vacation Bible school or we work with kids on Wednesday night. You know, it's not just when we punch the clock. It's, it's all of our lives, and God says, I can use that. What you're, on, what you're facing at work and, and, and the garbage that's going on there, the, the difficulty with, with physical health challenges, God says, I can take all of that, and none of it will be meaningless because I can use all of it for my greater purposes. And if only you could catch a glimpse of what I can do with it, you would be overwhelmed with joy and you would know that these present circumstances don't compare to the glory of what I can reveal. Let me show you one other passage of Scripture just because I want you to see how, it, how the thought continues. Turn over in your Scripture to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. You wouldn't have to turn far. Uh, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 4, the last few verses of this chapter. Again, this is the Apostle Paul writing. Already in this chapter, he's talked about the hardships that he has faced. Um, in verse 16, he says, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet the inner man is being renewed day by day. And in verse 17, he says, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. For while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You see, Paul, he has that same kind of attitude. And it's in the context of these bodies that are breaking down. Anybody have a body that's not breaking down? Uh, if you feel like you don't today, just wait. And I know a lot of you are further down the road than I am, and every one of you to the person has said it doesn't get any better. These, these bodies, they just they get tired, they break, they wear out. And it's, it's, with all of the medical interventions we have and the supplements and the vitamins we can take and as, as good of care as we should take of these bodies... And Paul knows it. This, this outer man is just wasting away. But the inner man is being restored. Because the inner man understands and resonates with what God is producing. Do you see that in the text? What God is producing. And the Christian life is not seen as one that's just wasting away. The Christian life is seen as one that is moving towards something better, something more glorious. I want you to think for a moment about Jesus. We're getting near Holy Week. I want you to think for a moment about those hours. And, and our Sunday school, if you, if you attended Sunday school, it touched on this this morning also. In, that, uh, in those hours for Jesus in his own life, when, and I don't want to know exactly when to put parameters on this, but you could go from, from Gethsemane to the, the trials, standing before Herod, standing before Pilate, uh, standing before the chief priests, uh, being taken out to the Mount of Calvary, being put up on the cross, hanging there. Uh, during those hours, can you imagine what 
kept him going when the only thing he could sense was God's abandonment. That God had turned his face away. Why God, why God am I suffering this? But you know, Jesus understood the very thing that we need to catch this morning. And that is that, that God redeems our suffering. And the suffering of Jesus Christ was used for the greatest glory toward this creation, the redemption of humankind and all of our creation. If God can redeem Jesus' suffering, He can redeem yours as well. No matter how bad our circumstances, compared to eternity, this is momentary and light and very much navigable if we lean upon the grace that keeps us leaning forward. And I pray that you'll lean upon that grace as you face your trials in life. Let's pray. Father, we would confess to you that rarely, if ever, do we enjoy and look forward to difficulties that come upon us. We don't like uh, people pushing back upon us. We don't like uncertainty. Um, we don't like pain. We don't like sorrow. But we also understand, Father, that you have made those things to be a part of our experience. And so I pray, Lord, especially for anyone who is really feeling any of those things today. I pray, God, that your grace would just be abundant toward them, and that you would help them to find rest in your Holy Spirit walking with them, and that their hearts would find encouragement. Looking forward to a day, Lord, when, when you reveal all of your glory to us and, the, and the, the sorrow and the tears and the pain of this life are all put away, even, God, while we're going through these things, Father, that, that we might be reminded that, that you use these things. May, may nothing of our life, even the pain and the suffering, may nothing be wasted. Father, in your perfect providence, use these things for your glory, that Christ may be known to those around us. We ask it, God, only for your glory and for your honor, and we do it in the precious name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. We're glad that you chose to spend this time with us in God's Word. You can catch our worship services online at www.rmumc.net. May the Lord grant you the light of His truth as you journey through this day.